Not enough room in there to breathe. Good afternoon. Hi, Jim. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> you all should be quiet like falling asleep after that meal. But you're real yakky this afternoon. It's great. We'll start with number 585. Soldiers of Christ, would you please arise for this song?
seated, please. Next song is number 947. 947. After this song, John, I assume you have the reading prayer. 947. <clears throat> Let's pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this past fellowship period that we've had together as family and brother and sisters in Christ. We're thankful for the food that was prepared, and we're thankful, Father, for the time we had to, to get to know each other better and to discuss things in your church. Father, we're thankful for all those who have stayed this afternoon, and Father, we pray your blessings upon us as we listen to another lesson from Brother Chris and and, Father, for his encouragement that he gives us uh, each week and, and to be more devoted to you in word and in study and in prayer and in helping to, show other, helping to show others your word. And, Father, we do thank you for all this church does, Father, and able to do. And thankful, Father, for the finances that are given that can help us to do the things that would help spread your word and help others in need and and, Father, take care of the things that need to be taken care of here. Father, we do pray your blessings upon us this afternoon and upon those that were mentioned this morning, many that are sick still. And, and Father, we're thankful for those who have improved, who've had surgeries that were successful, Father. And, and Father, we're just so thankful for the way that you provided the knowledge, of the doctors and the nurses and those that, in, as we proceed in days and days ahead, that, more and more things can be uh, cured. And Father, we just, we're just so thankful for that, that ability that you give them. Father, we do pray that you will bless the cure that we need, though, and bless those who serve you in the preaching capacity, Father, and the missionaries that we have. And Father, for those who plan to go to Peru this, this fall or this spring, Father, we pray your blessings upon all those who, who will take your word to, to others, to other lands. Um, uh, to just our neighbors, to, to whoever, Father. We're just thankful for each one and pray you bless bless those who, who teach. Father, we do pray also at this time for Brother Jason um, Stevens, Father, that you'll help him and, and in the new position that he has, Father, in state government, that hopefully in some way that he can bring Christianity into a lot of the decisions that are made and things will be in a more positive towards you versus... Uh, the devil. Father, we just pray that you'll bless Jerry and Mary and, and all the family at this time that you are thankful that you've given them the opportunity to, to, to be in that position. And we just ask your blessings upon him. And Father, we also pray that you will bless those who can't be here this morning and this afternoon as well. And some that are have been missing for some time, Charlie and Alice. Father, we realize that situations they have, we ask your blessings on them and Pagan Roger Pryor, Father, that you continue to help them. And, and Father Marvin and Judy Jordan, and just on and on we could go, Father. 
And my Father, we do pray your blessings on Jimmy Wilgus, that you'll bless him and Jim and Margaret both at, at this time as they're struggling through some very hard times. Father, we pray that you'll bless them and the surgeries and the treatments and things will be, will be very effective for them. Father, we do pray for Nathan Thompson's father, that you'll bless him and, and <clears throat> pray for Janie and Glenn Judge, that you'll bless continue to be with them. And, and for the Benson family who's lost their loved ones, we ask you to bless, bless that family at this time, too. Father, just help us as we, as we strive to, to do your will here. Continue to bless Chris this, this afternoon as he preaches again. Father, help us to, to learn from him. Help us to be encouraged by him and, and from Dave as well, Father, and the things that he's done and continues to do in their families. Just continue to bless them. Just forgive us, Father, of our sins. And, Father, we do realize that all of this is possible because of your Son and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah, better do the scripture reading. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 9. <clears throat> Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 9. says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily, everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart, as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Song of Invitation this afternoon is 272. 272. Before our lesson number uh, 816, in keeping with our uh, theme this year of evangelism, 816. And I want to ask anybody know this song? No. Kelly, you don't know this song? old sacred selection song we're going to muscle through it because it's already picked out would you stand please I grew up on this song it's old school so anyway evangelism theme for this year theme of this song Stand no longer idle, heed the call. Go to work for Jesus, one and all. Fields are waiting for your hands today. Take up your sickles and speed away. Go into the field, gather in the yield. Labor for the Lord, gain a great reward. Reapers, the Please. 
seated, please. Good evening. Hope everybody had a good lunch and got to talk to some folks, to get to know each other. It's a good opportunity there to spend some time with uh, with some folks. That's a good opportunity we've been given. All right, turn over to Luke chapter 17. That's where we're going to spend our time this evening. Luke 17, verse 32. We're, uh, this this series is, uh, this is, I think we've got one more in this series after this one. Uh, but tonight we're talking about remember Lot's wife. So we're looking at kind of what these shortest verses of the Bible can teach us about, specifically about evangelism. And so in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is in the middle of uh, talking about something that's really difficult. And so we, we, when we turn to Luke 17, we read through these verses and, and we, our eyes kind of light on, remember Lot's wife. Uh, and there's some, something there that we need to talk about specifically for evangelism, but I think we gotta we got to walk through some of this difficult text before we get there. So let's, let's, let's focus on the context, and then we'll, we'll focus on this uh, verse 32, excuse me, verse 32. So let's just read through it really quickly. This is a difficult passage. Um, I think I understand what he's, what he's trying to say, but he may be saying a couple of things here. There's some things I know he's not saying. Um, because the rest of Scripture would preclude those th- those things, uh, so let's walk through it and we'll try to try to explain it, and uh, and then we'll get into uh, the remember Lot's wife bit. So verse twenty eight, Luke seventeen verse twenty eight, he says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So it seems like he's talking about the second coming there, right? Like when Jesus comes back, this, this seems like it's what he's talking about, right? But then he, he's going to go on and he's going to talk about some things that don't sound like the second coming. In, uh, in the, the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul outlines for us what the second coming is going to look like. And so we're not left uninformed there. We know what's going to happen when the second coming happens. We don't know when that's going to happen, but when it does, we know how it's going to go down. So some of the things that he's talking about here, while it may sound like off the bat he's talking about the second coming, he's not. It's, it's got to be something else because we already know what's that, what that day is going to look like, and this is not what that day is going to look like. So verse 31, he says, On that day, this day when the Son of Man will be revealed, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. He, he kind of uses her as an illustration there, and then he moves very quickly away from that. And I, I don't want to move too quickly away from remember Lot's wife, but we need to get through the rest of this this passage first to really understand what he's talking about, I think. I think that's important. Verse 33, he says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. That's something he's, he's fond of saying. This is a tenant um, that Jesus is going to come back to often in his preaching. Everybody wants to save their life, right? He says, so you're thinking about it backwards. If, if you want to save your life, you're holding on to this, this, this life. He says, you're just going to lose your life. Is this life isn't isn't worth it's not worth holding on to, and it's not what's valuable. There's something valuable in this life, but it's not preservation of this life is not worth holding on to. So he's going to keep on coming back to this idea throughout his ministry, and he does so here. In verse 34, it gets even more convoluted. He says, "I tell you, in that night, the night when the Son of Man is revealed, <coughs> I tell you." In that night, there will be two in one bed. Two will be taken and the other, or one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. What? Like that, you're with them there in the beginning, right? And you're like, okay, you're talking about the second coming. And then he starts talking about this, and you're like, that's not the second coming. That's the false doctrine known as the rapture, right? Where uh, some, the denominational world will say, well, like, when Jesus comes back, he's, he's going to come back and he's going to take the ones who are saved 
with him. They're going to live with him. and He's going to take them away. And then there's going to be seven years for the tribulation. And then there's, he's going to... That's all the premillennialism stuff. That's a bigger conversation for a different day. But that's what it sounds like he's saying here. But that, that's, that's obviously not, not the truth because the rapture's not the truth, right? That's not actually going to happen. It's, it's an invention uh, made, from, made from man uh, along with this verse and some misreadings of the book of Revelation. So um, we know that's not what he's talking about because 2 Thessalonians 4 gives us exactly what the second coming is going to be. And he doesn't include any information there about the rapture. Um, there's, when Jesus comes back, he's not actually going to set foot on the earth again, right? He's going to stay in the clouds. And those of us who are still alive, well, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And they're going to rise to meet him in the clouds. And then those of us who are left alive are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Then we're going to rise to meet him in the clouds. And we're going to be with the Lord forever. That's what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 4. But he never mentions that Jesus is going to ever come back down here. He's, his feet are never going to touch the earth again. After the second coming, it's going to be burned up and judgment day happens and we spend eternity in one of two places. And that's how the second coming is going to function. That's, that's what Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 4, along with Peter's comments and, and his letters. So we know that's how the second coming is going to function. So what's, what's, he, what's he trying to get at here? Well, I think he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, so let's walk through it like this. Um, the Pharisees want to know when the kingdom of God was going to come. Jesus says, well, it's here right now. In fact, I'm standing right in front of you and, and I'm initiating the kingdom. They don't know it. But, but he came to start this kingdom. He's going to be here for just a little while, like, like lightning shooting across the sky. He's not going to be here very long. Uh, and then he'll be gone because they killed him. He, he suffered many things. This seals their fate, initiating uh, in their generation days like that of Noah and Lot, a time when people are just unknowingly waiting for punishment. Think about it like in the flood. People are waiting for punishment, but they don't, they don't know that's what they're waiting on. They're just going about their lives, living however they want to live. The same thing's going on in Lot's day in Simon Gomorrah. People are just are living however they want to live, but ultimately, in, in, a cosmic, uh, in the cosmic mind, in God's mind, they're waiting on destruction. And he says, that's, that's essentially what, you, what you're doing right now. You're just waiting on the world to be destroyed. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> So how will that reveal him? How is the Son of Man going to be revealed in that? I think, again, this is a difficult passage. I think what he's trying to say here is he's something like the death angel that we see in, uh, in the book of Exodus uh, in, in Egypt. Um, and so when they see the destruction of Jerusalem, in a way they're seeing him, at least his judgment on Jerusalem. And so he's going to be revealed in that manner. And he's warning his disciples that when this day comes, when you start seeing the Romans heading toward Jerusalem, because they're not going to do this thing in secret. In fact, <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> in fact, they're going to start coming toward Jerusalem. They're going to besiege it for a little bit. And then the emperor's going to die. Caesar's going to die. Uh, he's going to be killed. Um, but, uh, and then the, the guy that's the general that's attacking Jerusalem is going to be come the next emperor. So he leaves um, uh, Jerusalem and he starts hightailing it back to Rome to, to kind of quell the rebellion and take over. And so he sends his son, that's Vespasian. Uh, Caesar Vespasian comes in um, and he becomes the next Caesar. But his son Titus is going to be the one that comes back and destroys Rome or destroys Jerusalem. So when you see the Roman army start heading toward Jerusalem, Jesus is going to tell his disciples, you guys just leave. Don't, don't be there. Um, interestingly enough, history tells us that not a single Christian died in the destruction of Jerusalem. Lots of people died, but not a single Christian was there because Jesus warned them, don't be there. Um, so I think that's what's going on here. Um, so verse 31, when, he, uh, when he's talking about the housetops and, and the don't come down and uh, the person in the field not, not turning around. When they see these signs, 
army surrounding Jerusalem. You don't go back in your house and get your stuff. You, if you're in the field, you don't worry about whatever's going on back there. If you're on the, if you're on the housetop, on the top of your roof, you don't go back inside the house to get your stuff. You, you hightail it away from Jerusalem. Get out. Well, the getting's good. They, they got to run. Um, verses 34 and 35 uh, when he's, he's talking about the bit that kind of sounds like the rapture, um, I think he's talking about the army invading. And this happened in Jerusalem just like it does in every uh, city where an army invades. It's indiscriminate. They, they destroy everything. And the Romans are going to do that to Jerusalem. They're, gonna leave, they're not going to leave one stone on top of the other. They're going to tear down uh, Herod's temple, the, the, the temple that Herod had built, magnif- magnificent, um, opulent, they're going to tear down the walls around Jerusalem. All that stuff's going to be gone. Uh, but they're also going to kill a great many people. And I think that's what he's referring to here in 34 and 35. So uh, he's, he's almost envisioning as the army sneaks up through Jerusalem, they're, they're going to snatch the husband out of the bed, kill him, but the wife's going to make it away. Uh, and then two women are out there in the field grinding. The army sneaks up on the two of them and they grab one, but the other one runs away. <coughs> I think all this is talking about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, the odd thing is, if if there's an odd, a more odd passage in in this admittedly difficult passage, it's probably verse thirty-seven. Um, he says, he said to them, or they said to him, "Where, Lord?" And so they're kind of saying, "Where's this going to happen? Uh, like, what are you talking about?" This, this is another instance where. Maybe they understood something of what he was saying, but they didn't get it all. And so they asked this question, where, where's this thing going to happen? And he gives them an answer that doesn't make any sense, right? He says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I think he's saying, I think he's calling Jerusalem the corpse. It's already dead. We talked about in class this morning how Judaism is dead. After, after Jesus' death on the cross, Judaism was, was done. Uh, it, there's no power left there. At one point in time, it was how people were saved, right? You, 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 you become, uh, if you're not already born into the Jewish faith, you, you become a Jew. You follow God's laws for these people, um, and you're, you're saved. At least your sins are rolled forward in this way. He's, after Jesus' death, he says, that's, that's no longer the case. Judaism has no strength. There's no, there's no significance to Jerusalem anymore. Uh, some of our, some of our, our world powers um, over the last several decades have made some significance about Jerusalem. There's, there's nothing significant about Jerusalem anymore. It's, there's, it's no more significant than Proctorville or, or Rome, Italy or, or anywhere else. It's just another city in God's eyes now. Um, because Jesus is not going to come back there. He's not going to reign on a literal throne anymore. To do so, he would have to find David's throne. Where is David's throne? Nobody knows. <laughs> In fact, he himself said uh, after the exile that no one from David's lineage would ever sit on David's throne and be successful again. That's what God said. So Jesus is a descendant of David. If Jesus were to sit on a literal throne, if he were to find David's literal throne and sit on it, even he would not be successful in that reign because God said he wouldn't be successful. No descendant of David would ever sit on that throne again and be successful. That was, <coughs> excuse me, that was the promise during and after the exile. And you, you see that all the way through uh, till today. There's not been another one of David's descendants sitting on the throne. So, What's he saying here? I think he's calling Judaism the corpse. It's what's dead now. Vultures could also be translated as eagles. Uh, So eagle is a um, symbol for Rome. And so I think he's saying like when Rome, when Rome's eagles circle uh, circle Jerusalem, that's when this thing's going to happen. It's tough, right? And this part of Luke is a bit like reading through Revelation and trying to figure out what Revelation is saying. It's hard. Um, but I, I think that's what he's saying. I definitely know that he's not talking about the, the second coming. And I think he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's really the only thing that makes sense to me. I'd love to think more about it. Uh, and if you have any questions, I'd love to, to think through it with you. But I think that's all I've got. <laughs> um,
So what's he talking about when he says, remember Lot's wife? Well, the people that, if, if I'm right, assuming I'm right, um, in, this, uh, in this breakdown, how I've broken down the scripture, picture yourself in Jerusalem. You see the armies coming and you think, oh, I remember what the apostles said that Jesus said, when I see those armies coming, I have to leave. And so you run back in your house and you grab your scrapbook and you get your backpack and you get your fine china uh, and you get your baby clothes because well, those things are precious, aren't they? Uh, and we get, you know, you get some food uh, for the road, some road snacks and you get, I mean, you get all this stuff and then the armies are there and you're like, oh, I've waited too long. That's exactly what he's warning them against. But our desire to go back home to grab those things that are precious to us. He says, you've misplaced your priorities. Much like Lot's wife had misplaced her priorities. So picture yourself now, move out away from Jerusalem and go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and go back 2,000 years or so to Lot's house. (coughs) He and uh, Lot and his two daughters and his wife are running away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, there is fire and brimstone that is coming down uh, from heaven and it's destroying the city. And Lot's wife just cannot bear the thought of losing all those important material possessions. Uh, it's, it's what her heart is focused on. It's what she loves. And so she turns around and she looks back. That was a problem because God said, don't turn around and look back. Now, why would, he, why would he want that? Why would that be a command? Well, I think he's trying to tell them, you should have never loved that stuff anyhow. When, you remember when Lot moved over to Sodom and Gomorrah, when Abraham gave him, Abraham and Lot come up to this, to this uh, mountain, and Abraham says, you can have whatever you want. Uh, there's been some division between Abraham and Lot's herdsmen, and there's not enough room for them all in one spot anymore. So Abraham takes Lot up to his nephew, his, his beloved nephew. He loves this guy like a son. Um, and so he takes him up to this mountain. He says, you, you pig, whichever way you go, I'll go the other direction. I don't want there to be any hard feelings between us. If you go that way, I'll go that way. But if you want that way, I'm happy to go this way. And Lot kind of surveys the land. He's like, yeah, that's desert over there. It's not a good thing. So I'm going to go over here. It's nice and green. Uh, pastures are going to go well over there. He picked Simon Gomorrah. And no doubt, it was the exact same way when he picked it as it was when he left it, right? Uh, sin doesn't creep up like this overnight. And this is a, a long-range thing. This has been happening for years, I'm sure. And so uh, he picks a place where he could prosper materially, where he would prosper financially, almost seemingly without regard to the spiritual condition of that area, and he put he plops his family right in the midst of it. And so, at the end of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God comes and He says, "I'm going to destroy this place. I I can't stand this sin anymore. It's too egregious. It's too in your face." And so, I'm going to destroy it. And in fact, when I destroy it, I don't want you to be sad that it got destroyed. I don't want you to turn around and, and miss these things because your priorities are so out of whack right now because you've allowed this stuff to hang out inside of you. You've allowed yourself to focus on this and it's so out of whack. You, you don't even be sad that it's getting destroyed. You don't even look back. Problem is, Lot and his daughters seem to be okay with that. But Lot's wife couldn't stand it apparently. And Jesus uses her as an illustration here. To say, you, you can't prioritize that stuff. You don't, don't care about that because it doesn't matter anyhow. Um, those things are only things that hurt you. Those are not things that are helpful in your faith. Money gets in your way. Nice things get in your way. You go back and you look through Scripture and you find the guys that are being faithful often are poor. And the people that are, when Israel struggles, like in Hosea and Amos' day, you know one of the reasons, one of the things that's going on in Israel is that financial stability is concrete. It's rock solid in Hosea and Amos' day. In fact, they have ivory houses. 
cool, right? Who doesn't want an ivory beach house, right? That's what these guys have. They've got a winter house and a summer house, and both are decked out in ivory, and they've got just all the things that they want, but their spiritual condition is awful. Because they focused on these things when they should have been focusing on the spiritual condition. Lot's wife is in a similar spot. And so she turns around and, and apparently, reading between the lines here, because Jesus gives her, uh, uses her as this illustration, he says she turns around because she's grieving that those things are being lost. She's regretting leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. If you had an exit door away from Sodom and Gomorrah, you run through that thing and you don't look back, right? She's looking back because she misses that life. Jesus says, you don't need to miss that life. She regretted leaving. So I spent a long time on that. Sorry, longer than I wanted to. But the, the, the evangelistic slant here is you don't need any regrets. Evangelistically, you don't need a single regret. You do every single thing you can to convince someone, everyone, anyone, that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for them, that he can save them. Because on the day of judgment, we don't want a single regret. You don't want... I don't know how the day of judgment is going to work. He hasn't, he hasn't given us any specifics there. But if it were to work like this, the person that you pass in the grocery store tomorrow walks up to you and says, you knew, and you didn't say anything. You knew, Jesus. I saw you in your suit. I saw you in your dress. You were carrying a Bible with you, and you didn't, you didn't say anything to me. I refuse to be in that position on the Day of Judgment. Every opportunity we have to teach someone, we need to take, so that there's not a single regret on the Day of Judgment. In Acts, you see guys taking every opportunity like that. Um, in Acts 8, uh, well, back up even to, to chapter 7. Stephen, one of the, the deacons in the Jerusalem congregation, he's been appointed to take care, well, he and six other deacons have been appointed to take care of the Greek Jewish widows. And so some of these ladies are feeling out of... Um, um, they're not, they're not being paid enough attention to. They're not being taken care of well enough. And so <coughs> these seven guys are appointed uh, to, to help take care of them. Stephen is a preacher, as well as Philip, and I'm betting the other five are too. Um, but Philip, or Stephen runs afoul of the Jewish aristocracy, the chief priests and some of the high priests and those guys, uh, the Pharisees. He runs afoul of them. Uh, and they're ready to stone him. Do you remember what he does as they're throwing stones at him? He's preaching. Every single opportunity we're given to share the gospel, it needs to be shared. So that on the day of judgment, you don't have any regrets. I refuse to be in that position for somebody that I knew and loved or somebody that I just passed by on the street, look at me and say, hey, you remember me? You just walked right past me. We sang the song this morning. John picked it out. You never mentioned him to me. It's a perfect song. I refuse to be in that position that one day somebody will walk up to me and quote that song. We need to take every opportunity we have and create opportunities that we don't have to teach people the gospel. You see it done time and time again throughout Scripture. Acts chapter 8, the other, one of the other deacons in the Jerusalem church, after Stephen is, di uh, is murdered, uh, the, the church, uh, it's not safe for them to be in Jerusalem anymore, so they scatter, and, and, which is the, the perfect thing. We've talked about that in the past, that uh, Satan seems to think that, that he could have uh, done some damage to the church by killing Stephen, but it actually just enlarges it, and it blows up at that point uh, as the Christians scatter. And you know what they do as they run for their lives? They preach the gospel to people they meet. Philip, this other deacon in the Jerusalem church, runs to Samaria. I don't know why he ran to Samaria. It's, the, it's one of the closest places away from Jerusalem. 
that he could have gone. Maybe he's thinking that uh, the Pharisees won't go find him there because they still have this hanging up with the, with the Samaritans. He doesn't have a hanging up with the Samaritans anymore. He knows that God's given the gospel to everyone. And so he goes over to Samaria, maybe a safe spot for him. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Maybe that's why he goes. But he goes to Samaria, and you know what he does there as he's, as he's running for his life? He preaches the truth to people. Every opportunity we're given. When Paul comes to Athens a few chapters later in, in the book of Acts, uh, he walks around and he's, he's, he's talking to a group of people who he says are very religious. You would think that this people, these people are crazy. They're worshiping the pantheon of gods. And just in case they've overlooked one, they've, they've, they worship this deity they, they call the unknown god. And it would include Yahweh, but it's, it includes all the other gods that they, that they don't have temples to. And so he says, well, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to make this opportunity to teach you the truth. Some of them listened. I mean, it's amazing, right? Um, years later, on, on throughout the book of Acts, he's going to be in front of Felix and Festus, these two guys that... We've talked about them in the past, right? They have a history, and, and, and uh, Agrippa even has a, a family history of not caring at all what Yahweh thinks or does. And Felix and Festus are in, very much in the same boat. You know what he does as he's on trial? He should be protecting himself, shouldn't he? He should be doing what's, his own, what's in his own best interest. You know what Paul's doing? He's not protecting himself. He's actually preaching to these guys. Preaching is what got him in this pickle in the first place. That's why he's here in front of them in the first place. Because he won't stop talking about Jesus. Every opportunity. And the opportunities that aren't there, we make them. To bring one more to him. Because he's long-suffering, waiting for everyone to come to repentance. But it's our responsibility, our joy, our obligation to go tell. And so we do. We take every opportunity to go tell. We can't have any regrets on the day of judgment. Lot's wife regretted leaving her possessions. We're going to regret not taking every opportunity to teach someone the truth. That's a regret you don't need. You don't have to walk around with that. This morning, if you've not been baptized, that's the very first thing that needs to be taken care of to add you to a church to wash your sins away so that you can become righteous and holy and start your trip with Him, your walk with Him. Maybe you've already made the decision this evening and you're struggling and you need the prayers of this congregation to thrive, to be bold, like, like Peter and John are bold in Acts chapter 4. Uh, they've been whipped uh, for teaching the truth, but guess what they go out and do? They leave rejoicing that they were worthy to share in Jesus' sufferings, and then they just keep te teaching the truth. If you need help this morning or this evening, why don't you come as we stand and sing?
Good afternoon, church family. I'll tell you what I'm doing today. I'm taking a nap. I'm full and dreary day, rainy days, good day for a nap. But a couple announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that this Wednesday at 5.30 will be Stepping Stone Supper. Soup and sandwiches are on the menu for that. Um, also, uh, next Tuesday will be the Ladies of Joy movie night here at the building at 6.30. All ladies are encouraged to go to that. Also, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board for snacks for CYC. Uh, there's a bucket next to the foyer in the foyer uh, table. You can put your snacks in there. And there's also 15 college kids um, that we have for Valentine's Day boxes out there in the foyer table as well. Um, that Those need to be in by the 22nd. I'm sorry, February 8th. Um, also, uh, this... I uh, got missed this morning, uh, February the 11th, uh, Sunday, 12th. Oh, that's right, you corrected that, 12th. Uh, February the 12th, Life Group 1, that's Rick's Life Group, will be meeting uh, here at the building uh, after sur Monday, I'm sorry, after morning services, um, Sunday morning. Uh, food will be a taco, taco bar. Um, if you have any questions, please see Karen on that. Uh, remember, continue to keep Terry Leap, Jim Wilgus, Jennifer Baker, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. And uh, update on Andrew Sullivan. Um, if you weren't here this morning, he was taken to Cabell Hospital uh, having breathing treatments done. But he is still there. Uh, he's getting breathing treatments done now, which he seems to be doing a lot better with the breathing treatments. But they're going to keep him overnight for observations. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's close with number 52. <clears throat> 52. All praise to him who reigns above in majesty supreme, who gave his son for man to die that he might redeem. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for your son Jesus and for the sacrifice that he made for us that we, we remembered here this morning. And we do every time that we meet here, Lord. I just ask that you, as we leave, as we leave here, Lord, I ask that you to uh, guide our steps, that we might leave, live the calling that you've called us to, to be your witness that others might see you in us and we might be able to share the, the gospel story that, that we hold so dear. That others might come to know it and come to repentance and baptism because of the power of your message and of, of your son Jesus' life that he gave for us. We thank you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.